Good morning. <laughs> Glad you're here. If we were to give you a quiz right now, is that the right way or the wrong way to parent? Probably 100%. I hope it would be 100%. Uh, that, that's easy to identify. That is not the way to do it. Uh, this is setting your child up for living in a very small space behind bars for a very long time. <laughs> it's not what we want. Uh, today, we're going to look at God's plan, though, for preparing your kids for success, true success as defined by him, and even looking at how we ourselves get ready for that. So we're going to dig into it. This is important for parents and grandparents to look at and get a handle on and understand how this works. Uh, it's, it's not the normal path. As you get into Scripture, you find out it's not the normal path that we see in America. Uh, in America, the normal path that we take to set our kids up for success involves some combination of these things. Getting the kids in the right schools and or helping them excel in the schools they're in. Keeping them busy enough, I've heard this a lot, keeping them busy enough with after school, out of school activities that they don't have time to get themselves in trouble. That's a strategy. Getting them involved in sport or dance or music any kind of pursuit, worthy pursuit, that's going to build discipline and character. That's going to help them learn those things. Then another final thing is, if you want to take this normal path, do the right things, like go to church. That's the normal path. Question is, how well is this working in, in our country in terms of raising up kids who make a significant contribution to the world. And then how does that compare with God's plan? We're going to look at God's plan today. We get very stressed as parents. If we're good parents, if we care about our kids, if we love them, we get stressed about making sure our, our kids are involved in the right things so that they can grow up and have the right kind of life. And we're going to see today that God has been very clear about the right environment for successful parenting. He's been very clear about it. If you aren't a parent yet, uh, you need to learn this now before you start a family. And all of us need to know it because if you've decided to follow Christ, we need to know the things we're going to learn today because it allows us to continue to grow and nurture our friendship with God and grow in the right way and develop the, the character that, that he wants us to have. So um, this, this is important stuff. It's clear in Scripture, to begin with, that God wants families to do well. Very, very clear. This, this is what God wants. He wants families to, to go well, to do well, to enjoy life. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 11, and we're going to walk through this passage. And there's a backstory to this passage. The backstory is that God was preparing Israel his people, to enter the promised land. He had, he had promised to give them the land of Canaan. They were, he was getting them ready to, to, to do this. And uh, as we look at their history, which is about 3,500 years ago, we look at their history, we learn about how God relates to us. We learn a lot about that. So we're going to dig into this passage. In verse 1 it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. They were about to go into the land. There had been a hiccup, though. There had been a hiccup. Actually, in, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, 
he laid out the Ten Commandments again. He laid out the laws and decrees. He laid them out, make sure they remember them. Deuteronomy, Deutero, it means the second time the law was given. This is like a rerun for them. He's repeating himself because he wants to make sure they understand these things. They get these things. They, they, they got a grasp on them. There had been a roadblock that affected an entire generation, a hiccup. And the hiccup was God promised to give them the land. He led them out of slavery in Egypt. They're perched on the edge of the land, the promised land, and they chickened out. Because what you find out in this story is God makes promises to us, but we have to fight to claim those promises, and they didn't want to fight. They, they chickened out on the fight. They sent 12 spies into the land. They thought it was a great place, but they were intimidated by the people in the land. Ten of them were faithless. They said, I don't think we should do it. Our women and kids, our wives and our children might not you know, survive, so I think we're just going to chicken out and not do it. I don't think we should try. Two of the guys were full of faith, and they said, let's do it. God, if he wants us to have this land, he will give it to us as we set out to follow him, as we do what he's told us to do. So God responded to the faithless report of the ten spies by having the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died off, the chicken one, the faithless one, until they died off. When they died off, then... A new generation arrived, and they're now, so here they are again. They'd been through this once. And they're, they're there again, they're at the edge, and God is trying to help them get prepared for what they're going to deal with when they get into the land. Because what he's doing is he's preparing them for life in a hostile environment. The country, the, the part of the world they were moving into was barbaric, very opposed to him. And his ways was completely the opposite, going the other direction. The whole culture was worshiping other gods. And out of that worship, they were horrible to one another and to the people. It was just a big power grab. And so as he, as he gets them ready to hold on to, as the people of God, they were God's people. He was showing the world how he relates to his people, people who choose to follow him, hoping that everybody would decide to do that. And so they were his people. And what he's doing in this passage is he's getting them prepared to hang on to their distinct identity as his people. And he wants them to, to know what it's going to take to hold on to their unique culture in the middle, smack dab in the middle of a culture that is completely antagonistic and hostile to their way of life the one that he wanted them to have. And so we learn from them and from his instructions to them how to parent today. We also learn how to live in a way that protects us if we've decided to follow Christ, we've decided to go his way. We learn what it takes to protect ourselves from absorbing the culture around us and from you know, not growing into the people that God has intended us to be. We live in a similar place. And so he starts in verse 1 with that, that comment. God's plan revolves around his commands, his decrees, and his laws. He explains that he gave his commands for a reason, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God 
as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. This is what's on God's heart. Obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. God wants us to do well in life. He wants things to go good. He wants us to have a good life. He wants the best for us. And I noticed that when I step outside of the boundaries he set up for life, that's when I get hurt. That's when I hurt the people around me. That's when things go bad. And so what you see is the heart of God behind what he's laying out here. He's trying to show us how to do well. How do we live in a hostile environment without absorbing the culture? This is his heart behind every command. He lays down his law so that life will be good for those who choose to follow him and to follow what he said about life. That's what's on his heart. So there's nothing more important in parenting. There's nothing more important in our lives than living God's ways and teaching our kids to do the same. There's nothing more important than living his ways. God reveals his heart, and then he lays out his game plan in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. This is a core part of his plan. We're to get his commandments on our hearts. And in the Bible, your heart is not the seat of your emotions. We tend to think that way in America. You know, follow your heart. Go with, your, go with what feels right. Do what feels right. In the Bible, your heart is the seat of your will. It's where you make choices. It's the decision-making center of your life. So what he says here is get God's commandments into the part of you where you decide things, into your will, into the the part of you, into the decision-making center of your life where you decide what you're going to say and do as you respond to what's going on around you. That's what he's saying here. And what we learn from this passage as we walk through it, what you're going to find out is parents are the plan. Parents are God's plan for learning his way, for learning to walk with God in his ways on this earth. Parents, you are God's plan for multi-generational discipleship at the early stages of your children's life. As they're growing up, you're it. You're, you're, you're the plan. And the hope is that as they grow up and become adults, you can continue to be a source of encouragement and, and guidance for them. But you are the plan. If you're children, if you have children that are growing up right now, you're it. Not, not the church, not the Christian school. You're it. You're, you're the one that God looks to. There, now, there are no guarantees that your children, as they grow up and become adults, are going to choose to follow Christ. They have a will to choose. They have their own choice to make. God never overrides the will of a person. He always leaves it up to each of us to decide that. Some will go astray. 
And we're not responsible for their choices. We're responsible for our own choices. There's actually a passage in Scripture that, that talks about that related to generations. But we are to do our part, whatever we can, to get them ready to choose, to try to show them how good God is, how good it is to follow him and to walk in his ways. And as they see God work in our family life, as we see him come through over and over again, they begin to pick it up. We do our best, and then we trust God. So what this means is we need to pray. We need to pray that God would work in the lives of our kids, that their own will, their own heart would turn to him and learn to trust him and learn to walk in his ways and by his commands. Listen to verse 7 and 9. Now, here's some more of his plan. Get these commands on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Notice what's, it, what, what's the center of the conversations in the family. It's God, his commands, his ways, his commands, his decrees, his laws, the way he said where to live life. This is to be a part of our everyday life and conversations. Your, your kids are going to learn more about the Christian life from you than anyone else. And in fact, they're going to learn more about it than they will at church or from the school, whether or not you talk about it. Whether or not you're talking about it, they're learning more about it from you than they are from any other place or institution. Whatever they hear anywhere else is going to be either reinforced or drowned out by what they see and hear at home. Our kids are watching and they're listening. Our kids learn God's importance by they, they, they learn his importance by watching and hearing how much we talk about him, how much we include him in our approach to everyday life, our involvement in church life and how, how much we talk about that, our example and our explanation of walking in the Spirit letting him guide and teach us. Our uh, action steps, the impact of sharing, sharing our faith on our family life, our action steps to advance and extend his kingdom. And then they're also learning by how seriously we take our wrong, the wrongs that we do. Whether or not we admit our sin, whether or not we admit our wrong, ask forgiveness and make restitution, then change and grow. Do, do we turn, do we actually... When we, when we see that we're doing wrong, do we turn from it and admit it and get it straightened out with them? They're, they're watching all this. They're learning. We're like the instructional video for life. We're it. They're, they're, they're checking this out. Your biggest enemy in parenting, I heard my mentor say this the other day, is living a half-baked Christian life. That's your biggest enemy. The biggest power is living a full throttle. Christian life. It's the best thing. There's some research by George Barner. He's a guy who does polls. Uh, he polls uh, Christians and the whole culture, the whole American culture. But there's some research done. And this is what he says that he has found out about people in churches. 
He says almost half of born-agains, that's, that's people who have decided to follow Christ. They've surrendered their will to him, and at least they've, they've prayed a prayer, or there have been some kind of experience, and they've been born again. They've, that's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, you'll be born again. You'll get a new start, a new fresh start. And born-agains are those who are part of churches who believe that Jesus does that. That's us. We're a part of this. Almost half of born-agains, now I don't know if we're like the rest of the culture or not, but this is what he found out. Almost half of born-agains, 45%, teach their children that there are no absolute values. You might expect that parents who are born-again Christians would take a different approach to raising their children than did parents who have not committed their life to Christ, but that was rarely the case. Barna went on to say, For years, we have reported research findings showing that born-again adults think and behave very much like everyone else. It often seems that their faith makes very little difference in their life. This is what God is trying to avoid in Deuteronomy 6. He's trying to tell us that the difference, the way you pass on your faith to your kids is you live it. You live it out. You get the truths of God on your heart, and then you begin to live in line with them. Because our kids are watching, and we're showing our kids what life is all about as they watch it. According to Scripture, life is about four, at least these four broad general things. It's about God, not us. It's about Him. Knowing Him, loving Him, obeying Him, learning to glorify Him. It's about becoming more like Christ. If you've decided to follow your Christ, if you've decided to give your life to him and follow him, it's about becoming more like him and sharing his love, expressing his love to others as they go by, as, as we relate to them. It's about stewarding our possessions, our life, both our material things and our spiritual life. It's about stewarding that in a way that reflects God's rulership, his leadership. And it's about teaming up with other people to expand his kingdom, to help people, more and more people come to know him and connect with him. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. And so we extend it by helping other people come to know him and, and decide to follow him as well. That's, that's what life's all about according to the scripture. Parenting happens as we model life. There, our kids are picking it up. They're picking up what it's all about. They see our perspectives, how we look at life. Everybody has glasses, lens through which we view life, and they're picking up our perspectives, what we think is important, our values, what we think is important. They're checking out. They're watching what we do, and they're, they're discovering the relative value of things. And we're actually, the way we live is embedding this in them to a certain degree. We're, we're, it's just the way life is. It's what they learn early on. Uh, they're learning perspectives, values, attitudes, words, and deeds. Our kids are catching on to the Christian life through us. They're catching on to how important it is through us. Situation by situation, our kids are learning by how we respond to hard circumstances, bad situations, good things, how we handle the flow of life. They're learning from this. Life is the ultimate learning environment for our kids. Situation by situation, our kids are learning by what we sacrifice for. What do we save up for? What do we say no to and what do we say yes to? What do we get upset about? 
What upsets us? They're learning from that. What do we get discouraged over? What do we get excited about? You, you can't fake excitement. You can't fake hype. You can try, but your kids know what you really get excited about. They really do. They, they could probably, maybe they couldn't articulate it, but they know your values by what, by what really gets you going in the mornings and what really gets you talking about things. What do you rejoice over? What do you do repeatedly? What do you choose to do when life is busy? Or what do you not do? What do you drop? When, when life gets busy, what do you let go? They're watching this. What do you punish? What do you praise? You can't fake it. This is why it's important to get God's word in our hearts. What is in our hearts is going to spill out in front of our kids as we live life. They're going to know these things. They're going to see it. That's why God's word needs to be on our hearts. It needs to be a part of the way we think, the way we decide, the way we choose. It needs to show up in our will and in our mind because that's where we decide what we're going to say and do. This is why we need to ask God to keep changing our hearts. There's a statistic I heard this week, or I don't know, a couple weeks ago maybe, 70 to 88% of kids in evangelical homes, born-again homes, bail on God by their freshman year in college. And people who raise their kids in church might say, well, I, but I took them to church. That's not where it happens. That God says that's not where it happens. It happens in the home, not in the church. So God's instruction to Israel to get his commands on their hearts is crucial for us as parents. We need to get them on our hearts. We need to live them and then explain them to our children as we go through life situations. We, we tend to divide life into pieces like a pie. Family life is, is a slice. Jesus, maybe our marriage, work. Jesus is just a slice. These are slices. This is how the Bible thinks about life. If you decide to follow Christ, Jesus is at the core. And then... He shows you, he guides you in your family life, in your work life, and then on out there. Jesus' rightful place is at the core of your life. All the good stuff flows from him. All the good stuff flows from him being at the core. Because if you decide to follow Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and he guides and teaches, and he helps you. And you might be thinking, wow. This is blowing me away. I feel responsible for my children. And, and you are. But here's the good news. God is a gracious God, and, and he, will, he will help you. And you might be thinking, I don't know where to start. I, I, don't, I don't know Scripture very well. I'm not quite sure how to do this. Here's, here's the other good thing. You don't need a master's degree in biblical studies to do this. You only need to get into the Bible, let God speak to you directly. Go to the Bible and ask God, just decide, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say to me, and I will do it if you say it. I will do what you say. Let him begin to speak to you, because what you're going to find out is the Bible comes alive. It, it is alive. God uses it. It's his word. And it speaks. he speaks to your heart. 
and he shows you about perspectives and attitudes and things that are off, and he helps you move into the right direction following him. And as you do that, let him speak to you and then start telling your kids what he's telling you, what he's teaching you. Start explaining it to them. If you were offered a job promotion tomorrow and the boss comes up and asks you whether or not you think you could do it, what what are you going to say? Now, you might not think, for sure, I can handle this. But what you're going to say is, I will figure out whatever it takes to do this job. That's what we need to do with parenting. It, it, this, may, this may blow you away, but we need to say, God, whatever it takes, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to do the best I can. Will you work with me? Will you teach me? Will you help me? You don't need to know all there is about the Bible. You need to get into it and let God start teaching you how to live. And so the way that you take the first step is you take the first step. Then you take the second step. Then you take the the third step. And you just keep walking forward with God, letting him rearrange your heart, your mind, the way you go about life, your priorities, your values, your perspective. You let him shape you. God has the amazing ability to teach you exactly what you need to know right now for tomorrow or for today. He, he, he can show you what you need right now to pass it on to your kids. So you don't need a degree. What you need is you just need to get into the Word and let God start speaking to you. That's what growth groups, we're going to be looking in our growth groups at. How do, how do you hear from God and how do you know for sure it's Him? And then how do you step out to do what He's told you to do? Or just being willing to do that. We're going to look at that. That's a, This is a... The core of what it means to follow the Lord is learn how to hear him and follow him. Attending church on Sundays is great, great start. It's a great way to learn and begin to pass along things. We're always, the Bible's at the core of what we're teaching. Teaching pathfinders is another way to dig in. It's great. It's a great way to get core principles of what it means to follow God and begin to hand them off. Um, If you get involved in CIV, our Our covenant, our church covenant, revolves around seven heart attitudes. The first four heart attitudes, if you put those in practice, and then you begin to live them out here in church life, and then it begins to show up in family life, that is incredibly helpful because it lays the framework for relationships that can keep going on and on and on and on. First four are about relating to one another interpersonally. The second three hard attitudes are about uh, teaming up for the kingdom to, to do things together. As you get involved in church life, as you, as you allow your, your heart and your life to revolve around the things important to God, then you begin to grow. You just begin to learn the basics of what it means to follow God and hand that off to your kids. What are the what are your children picking up from your environment in your home? What are they picking up? You know, families share colds. They share the flu. That's how it works. We try to keep them from getting those things, but it happens. You know, we're in the same house and they, we share these things because we expose each other to the germs. This is how the faith is caught by your kids. They're exposed to it. Honestly, and that's the good side of exposure. They get exposed to it in the environment of a loving home. That's God's plan. 
That's his intent for, for how we're to grow and how we're to develop families and how we're to do discipleship from one generation to the next. You may be wondering, if you haven't been talking with your kids about God very much or walking with him, or maybe you're new to following Christ or you just haven't brought it up, well, have a conversation with them and say, you know what, I, I haven't mentioned this a lot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start trying to share. This is, this is either the most, you can tell them if it is the most important thing and it has been, you just haven't been talking to them about it. So this is the most important thing, and I, I really haven't been sharing this with you, but I want to start. I'm going to just try to start telling you about what God's teaching me and the things I'm learning. Or, you know what, Jesus has become the number one thing in my life. He's the number one person. And I'm following him, and I want to start telling you about that. But anyway, just have a conversation. Be honest. Haven't been doing this. Haven't been sharing this important thing, and I want to start. After laying out the game plan in Deuteronomy 6, there's a warning. In Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities which you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's, you know, it's easy to forget it's very easy to get distracted by what's going on in life. We get distracted, and we're tempted as we see everyone around us. They, they live from a different perspective. They seem to be doing okay. And it's easy to let God, to forget God, to allow him to take a second place or a third place, to let him fall on the list of priorities. If you want to hand off your faith to the next generation, then we need to hold on to the fact that God is God, that he is who he said he is. This is the number one thing that will prepare them for the future. Our life revolves around him and what he said and what he wants to do with our lives. First four commands, Deuteronomy 5, right before this passage we've been looking at, he went through the Ten Commandments again. Just just second time, make sure they remembered them. The first four commands re- relate to God. Second six relate to how we treat one another. But I heard a guy this week talk about these, and he, he was having fun with it. He said, first command, I'm God, and you don't get another one. Second command, don't even make anything that looks like me. Third command, don't mess with my name. Fourth command, don't mess with my day. It's all about God. That's what life's all about. Make no idols. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Make no idols. Worship nothing but me. And I'm spirit. I am not a, I'm not a physical being. I'm spirit. Make no idols. Don't take my name in vain. Show reverence and respect when you're talking about me. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep one of the days of the week when you rest and you think about me. You, you, you keep that holy. You set it apart as an honor to me. You know, in America, we're beginning to have uh, all kinds of gods show up in our society, just like 
just like in uh, the um, 3,500 years ago when the Israelites went into Canaan. And we have to be careful that we're remembering that God is God. And as we live life, we're choosing the right things. You know, we've always had some idols here. Sports is one of them. Uh, We worship sports. Some of us pick a college based on our favorite team. No, not talking about, I don't know about you Trojans that are here or anything, but uh, some of us pick a college because we want to root for that team, you know. We, we, We work our schedules around sports on TV. Or we let more important things like church drop so our kids can be involved in sports. One idea is that sports, remember I talked at the beginning of the normal past, sports are a way that we build character in the people. If that were true, the most righteous, virtuous people would be in the NFL, the NBA, the MLB. That must not be it. That, that must not be the key. Don't let anything rival your commitment to God. And don't let anything rival him as the one that your family revolves around. The major problem with Israel in the promised land <clears throat> Excuse me. When they got there, they kept adopting the practices of the people who lived around them. They adopted their gods and their practices. And that's why last week we looked at a passage that related to them when they were exiled to Babylon. That's why they got exiled. They kept adopting the practices. God was not number one. They, they forgot about him. And we must decide to remember him. We shouldn't do the same thing. It's very easy to absorb the culture around us. And out of fear, we absorb it. And we parent in line with that. Here's a picture that I was given uh, a few weeks ago to help us see what's important in life and, and in parenting. Our children are born. It's called the Pillars of Life. Our children are born, and we begin to help them develop in different areas of life. And our goal is life is the canopy, and our goal is we're born, we have life, that's the foundation. And what we want to do and what we actually begin to do is we begin to help them build pillars to support the weight of their roles and responsibilities and relationships in life. When they're born, at at the very beginning stages, we focus on their physical development. We want to make sure that they're doing okay, they do well, they're getting the food they need, and they're growing healthy. When they go to school, we start focusing on their mental development. And these are the corners. Imagine if this was a 3D building, they'd be the corners in the front. The next two I'm going to mention are the ones in the back. And then we're going to look at a center pillar. Um, but we start focusing on their mental development. As, as time goes by, we want them to develop socially. They begin to experience relating to other Friends, peers, other people, there's ups and downs in all of that, and we get concerned about helping them navigate that emotional aspect of life. And then uh, we, we, there is one pillar. Okay, I got four. I'm trying to see where I'm at. <laughs> there's one pillar in the center of the building that holds up more weight than all of the others, and we tend to forget about this one. We tend to let it go. It's something we ignore in our culture, but it determines what a person becomes, 
And it determines how he or she bears the weight of trouble and how they handle life. It's the spiritual pillar. This is the lost core in our culture that gives a truly significant and meaningful life. It's the spirit of a person that determines how they deal with life. Proverbs 18.14 says, A healthy spirit conquers adversity, but what can you do when the spirit is crushed? We must know how to develop ourselves a strong spirit and, at the same time, a broken will. God will show us how. This is what it means to come to Christ. You take your will, your, your choices, what you want, and you give it to him. You surrender it to him over and over again. And when you do that, he strengthens you in your spirit. He, he makes you strong. The normal way of parenting, what it tends to do is it tends to uh, build a strong will and a crushed spirit. And what we want to do is the opposite. Jesus says that we can be reborn, that we can have new life in him if we'll admit our sin and surrender our will to his. And then he comes to live inside of us. We're reborn. He gives us a new foundation on which to build life. And if you have not yet decided to follow Christ and you're ready to do that, on the connection card that is in your program, There's a place on the side to just say, I want information about beginning a relationship with Christ. We'd love to help you with that, and we'd love for you to let us know that you're interested in that information. Uh, I want to wrap up the message this morning. We've looked at how God works, how he wants us to put these things on our hearts and live these things out. And I'd like to look at some next steps that we might take as a result of what he's said. If you'd take your connection card out of your program, That'd be great, and fill out any information you haven't yet completed or the next steps that you'd like to take as we go through and then drop it in the offering. That'd be great. But here's some next steps. I'm going to adopt God's game plan for my family. I haven't been focusing on it. I haven't been doing it. I will put him in the center, and I'm going to build my life around him and his kingdom. Second step. I'm going to do whatever it takes to soak in God's word, the Bible. And that just means reading a paragraph a day and letting him speak to you. If you want to know what, where to start reading the Bible, just write, let me know where to start on there somehow. That'd be great. And I can give you some ideas about where to start. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to soak in God's word. And then we're having a parenting seminar. We're going to talk more about this stuff tonight. Uh, you join a growth group, attend the College Connect Barbecue or help out with a mission project. If you're a first-time guest with us today, uh, we're really glad you're here. We're going to celebrate baptism as soon as the service is over. I'm looking forward to that. That's a celebration. As we see uh, lives who've decided to turn from going their own way, to turn around and go God's way, and as they're just publicly stating, they've done that. It's a great time. Uh, We're going to celebrate right out here on the Circle Drive. And uh, would love to have you stay. Just as soon as we can get ready and get out there, we're going to do that. Um, but we're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you. Parenting isn't for cowards, for parents. It's a good book to give you some perspective. There's also a book, A Case for Christ, that you could read that's on the table. As you go through those double doors, both those books are on the table to the left out there. We're really glad you've been here, and I'd like to ask you to pray with me, if you would, as the band comes up to lead us.
Father, we thank you for your word that guides and helps us to get a grip on life and, and what you uh, want from from us and from how you want us to have the best kind of life possible. God, I am so grateful for your kindness and your grace. And I pray that you'd help us, Father, to get your word on our heart and begin to live it in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.